On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we dive into the world of anime with voiceover actor Rico Fajardo. If you've watched any amount of English language anime dubs, you've heard Rico. And I deputize two 12-year-olds to tell us everything we need to know about the latest entries in the wizarding world of Harry Potter media franchise. Now straight from the Public Works Department in the Kingdom of Fiori, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 14 for March 2017. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. I'm referring to movies, TV, comics, games, theme parks, and more. If that all sounds good to you, you are home. You're in the right place. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. It's a great time to be a fan of geek pop culture. Recently, I've been plowing through Daredevil Season 2, Legion, and the new Man-Thing comic book series by R.L. Stein. But you know what I haven't seen yet? Luke Cage, Logan, Iron Fist, The Expanse. It's a pretty long list, people. That media just keeps on coming. But I think I've devised a solution on how to keep too much media from falling through the cracks here on the podcast. I am someone that watches as much pop culture as I possibly can and reads it and listens to it. And yet, of course, there's never enough hours in the day to get through everything. So there are major movies I've missed in the past. There's new stuff that comes out all the time that I don't get to see. But luckily, I have sent my agents out into the field in this case to check out Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is, of course, the extension of the Harry Potter Wizarding World franchise. So here to tell us all about this and give their review is my son, Scott. Hello again. And my niece, Susanna. What's up? Oh, yeah. All right, so you guys got to see the movie this afternoon. First of all, yes, you for the second time. Let's establish our our baselines, our bona fide Harry Potter fandomness here before we dive in. 100%. Susanna's 100%. Describe that. How how big of a Wizarding World fan are you, Susanna? I've been to the Wizarding World twice the Wizarding World in Orlando, and I've read all the books three times, and I've read The Cursed Child also three times. You've read Cursed Child three times. Yes. Have you Have you read Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? I actually own two copies of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I do not know how I procured two copies of the same book, but I did. Well, so. stranger things have happened for sure. That's all right. Okay, and meanwhile, Scott, in our household, tell us about uh, your Harry Potter fandom. I do not have much of a fandom. <laughs> I have not read all the books. I have read the first six but I read the first six with interest and delight. All right, and and you're skipping. Why are you? Why are you? Have you skipped book seven so far? Yeah, I'm interested to hear this. Because it's just too depressing. You've you've heard that it's just too depressing. Well, it, the series just got more depressing as it went on, and I don't think my brain can handle book seven if it's as depressing as the series has gotten but what if there's like an uplift in book seven like it's really really depressing and then you hit a rock and it's like yay i don't think my brain will last that long 
All right. So, so for your, for your neural health, your overall (laughs) brain health, we're skipping book seven for now, despite the fact that I'm constantly trying to get you to read it. All right. So, well, you know, that's, that's a good segue. So if, and it's hard to argue, I think Susanna, you'd probably even agree. Indeed, the Harry Potter series got darker and more depressing as it went on, even if Mm -hmm. it did hit a rock, as you say, and have some uplift at the end. So how does Fantastic Beasts and where to find them fit in? Is is it depressing as well? Is it an interesting new start? What do you think? It is also pretty dark. Like, there are a lot of twists that you don't see coming. And this is in a very weird, like, Mm timeline-wise. It's in a very weird place because it's like when... Voldemort hadn't risen to power yet. Right. This is this takes place in like nineteen tens or twenties in New 20s, York City yeah. instead of instead of England. Yeah, I th- I think that's really cool. I like that they put it in the twenties, and I like the detail that they put into that to make sure it's all historically accurate. I think it's very nice. That's cool. All right, nice. So it's a little bit dark, but like. Not as is it as dark as the end of say the Harry Potter series? Um, yes, I would Whoa. think so because it's like as dark as six, okay. as book six. So it's not like like the depths of Tartarus depressing, but it's like <laughs> pretty. It's like solid. Like oh man, like Chase, wow. lighten up. Okay. I I will have to disagree with that. I don't think it's that depressing. The first time I saw it, we walked out of the theater and we were all like, man, that was dark. Okay. So, I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's, Scott's just more of a man than I am. It's fairly dark, but not not that much, in okay. my opinion. All right. Let's talk about some of the characters. So, I know, uh, obviously, that this book is based, or the, sorry, that the movie is based on a book which really has no plot. It's it's, it's a textbook, really. Yeah, it's, a, it's a textbook. That just lists the characters with uh, maybe a little teeny, the teeny beasts. bit of information about Newt Scamander, who, of yeah. course, is the star of the movie. A long memoir about, about Newt Scamander in the book. Right. So for all intents and purposes, this is a brand new story that just happens to borrow the title of some interesting little yes. side book. Mm-hmm. In the in the Wizarding World series, so so tell me about the new characters. Do you like the new characters? Who's the best? Who's the lamest? What do you think? Um, I How, how's Newt? Newt is good. I like Newt's character because I feel like overall he cares about the beasts the most. He's like the beasts' lives come first, but not New York. You know. Okay. So he cares the most about the creatures as opposed to fellow humans? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Or, or even the city of New York? Okay. Yeah. I mean, he will, he will, like, try to save somebody, sure. but the beasts will come first. Okay. Okay. Like, there's this really, I think, important scene when Newt and Tina and Queenie are getting all dragged out of the Makuza, like, courtroom. And Newt keeps screaming, they're not dangerous. Please don't hurt my beasts. They're not dangerous. Yeah. So that, kind of, that like, encapsulates how much Newt cares about his beasts. Not over people, I'd say, because, like, obviously Tina is really important to him, and so is Jacob. But he's more, he, like, so like Scott said, he's more excited and more willing to help with his yeah. beasts. Yeah, that's what I meant. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. 
Um, did you like the performances of the actors? Do you think that everyone did a pretty good job with it? You know, we have an uh, an Academy Award winner playing Newt Scamander, of course, Eddie true. Redmayne. Did you think they did a good job? Yeah, all the all the actors were really really good. Like ten out of ten, would recommend. But Eddie Redmayne was very good in this movie because he definitely showed us how like awkward Newt is. Mm-hmm. Like. I don't. Th- I was counting in that movie, and he like looked one person in the eye, and I think that was Tina. That was the one person he ever looked like really and truly in the eye in that oh, that's movie. That's interesting. And and you think that's because he's like because he's really shy or something, or he's yeah. like he's really good with animals, but he's not good with people. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's very shy. He's like when he's talking about this girl he met in school. He says we became friends because we both didn't fit in. Hmm. And pretty telling. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Very cool. Um, do you think that it fits well, that this story fits well into the overall wizarding world? Does, is, does it feel like Harry Potter? Yes. Well, not... It doesn't feel like Harry Potter, but it fits into the wizarding world. Because yeah. the stories of Harry Potter have a different feel to them, definitely. But this didn't feel so different that you're like, eh, this is weird. This is like a totally different film universe. You you could still yeah. feel this. And I mean, say, uh, because it's me, I'll make a Star Wars comparison. And say, no like, there. does original trilogy and prequel trilogy of Star Wars, even though they're really pretty different story-wise, like they kind of fit together in a way that, I don't know, they've got the same mood, they've got the same feel. Do you feel that way about Harry Potter yeah. Proper and Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Fantastic Beasts, like 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 we said it was depressing, just mm-hmm. like the last 3 in the series. So yes and no because I feel like it was kind of like what movie am I watching? But it was also kind of like in the music there was the same like surges and downfalls that you hear in the Harry Similar Potter proper. musical theme. Yeah. Okay. Well, that always helps. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh, tell me about the visual effects. They look very cool when oh, I see trailers God. and stuff. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, you like them. Yes. Anything in particular that really blew you away? When they oh. go into Newt's case the first time, and you just get this like spin view of all of the like habitats that Newt has created, and all of the and and all of the creatures that live in his case. It's like, whoa! Yeah. It looks so real. It's like, it's like you're there. I know it sounds cheesy, but it is honestly like I just stepped into Newt's Commander's case. Nice. What do you think? Um, yeah, that when you first step into the suitcase and they're looking at all the animals, that's really impressive. It is. Is there any animal or any beast specifically that really stands out hmm. that uh, you just can't get enough of? You just want to keep watching? Niffler. Niffler. I love is he Niffler. the cute little sidekick guy? He is the cute little sidekick guy. <laughs> One of my favorite parts in the whole movie is when the Niffler has gotten into the bank and he's, like, taking all this stuff, and Newt grabs him by his feet and shakes him, and, like, this, like, hundreds of dollars worth of coins and gold and jewelry come, like, tumbling out of this Niffler's, like, front pocket. Because like a kangaroo. Okay. Nice. So, <laughs> he's, so, so he's hidden all this stuff, yeah. even though to the audience are like, where is it all coming from? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, so, Susanna, you have read um, The Cursed Child, mm-hmm. and you've seen Fantastic Beasts. 
so you, I think, are in a unique position to answer this question. Of the big two 2016 offerings Ugh. from the Wizarding World, which is the one that you must take in and which is the one that maybe you don't? Or maybe they're both must-take-ins. What do you think? I definitely like Fantastic Beasts better than I like The Cursed Child. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because the Fant- Fantastic Beasts was... Like something we had never thought of before, hmm. and the hair and like we knew there was gonna be another Harry Potter, like getting it in play form was weird. It was like did not think of that, but Fantastic Beasts like, I don't think any of us saw that coming until we got smacked in the face with the trailer, <laughs> that was like, hey, look what we're doing. And do you know? Uh, do you guys know that not only are they doing a sequel, do they set it up for a sequel? Does yeah. it feel like there's going to be another one at the end? They're yeah. like, oh, I totally, we've got to do see this person again. Mm-hmm. I'll wrap up that storyline. Definitely. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be making three more Fantastic Beasts movies. Yes. More Nifflers. <laughs> 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 that sounds like an excitement from Susanna's part, at least. What do you think, Scott? Is that Are you looking forward to that? Would you go back? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then overall, would you say that the movie is a golden snitch, a rogue bludger, or a Dementor's Kiss? Which one of those things? How would you best assess this film? <laughs> it's a weird rating scale. I'm, I'm working I... on a brand new Harry Potter rating scale. All right, okay. I don't understand that rating scale enough <laughs> to answer that question. All right, how about on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, Quidditch World Cups, how many Quidditch World Cups would you give this? On a scale of <laughs> 7 to 13 of... Okay, now we're talking. There we go. Yeah, now of, we're talking numbers. Of whatever that, uh, that plant is that you ingest so you can breathe underwater. What's that called? Oh, the gillyweed? All right. On a scale of 7 to 13 gillyweeds, how many gillyweeds do you give Fantastic Beasts and where to find them? The movie. Uh, 12 and a quarter gillyweeds. 12 and a quarter gillyweeds from Scott. Susanna, what do you think? Thirteen and a half gillyweeds. Thirteen and a half gillyweeds. No matter how you cut it, that's a lot of gillyweed. <laughs> Is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to make sure that I, as someone who has not yet seen Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, something that I or anyone else who has not seen the movie should know? Well, I just think that if we get a movie based off of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, does that mean we get a movie based off Quidditch through the ages also? Thank you. That is the question that, would that be good. everyone wants to know. Frankly, I think that would almost make an easier movie than Fantastic Beasts. Yes, Beast because you could just go through the history of Quidditch. Yeah. Like, it's a documentary. A, yeah, a documentary on Quidditch. I would watch that. A fake documentary about Quidditch. I would watch that. That would almost be like some sort of ESPN documentary style. Yes, or yes. That would be pretty good. Sports drama in the wizarding world. Thank you very much, <laughs> Scott and Susanna. I appreciate it. You are my new uh, de facto reviewers for all the movies I don't have time to see. Yep. Thanks. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is now available for digital download, while the Blu-ray apparates into stores starting on March 28th. The sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is currently scheduled for release in November 2018. And Warner Brothers, when you're ready to hear the full pitch for the Quidditch Through the Ages movie, the 12-year-olds and I are ready. (laughs) 
If you're an animation fan, chances are you've seen your fair share of behind-the-scenes featurettes showing actors contorting their faces and giving incredible vocal performances to bring their characters to life. Maybe the actors even get to go off script a bit and improvise to find some organic character moment that reveals itself during the recording process. And then those recordings go to the animators who are tasked with bringing these performances to visual life. But what happens when the animation is already complete and then character voices need to be recorded? What about cases where animation is being translated into another language? All of those Japanese anime projects don't just translate themselves. To effectively step behind the mic in these cases requires far more nuance and surgical precision in the performance than you might expect. Toss in a dash of Japanese cultural awareness, and you've got the recipe for success in anime. Rico Fajardo is one such performer, and I spoke to him back in September about his adventures in animation, in front of the camera, and being a friend of Aladdin. So if you are a fan of anime, particularly of the English language dubs of the Japanese animated extravaganzas, chances are you've heard the voice of Rico Fajardo. His anime resume includes over 60 credits in film and TV series such as Assassination Classroom, One Piece, Tokyo Ghoul, and Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F. That's a heck of a title right there. Uh, and he's going to give us a sample of every single one of those character voices. I'm joking! Rico, oh, via Skype, welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts. Hello, man, you're going to set me up. I was like, 60 credits? How many, <laughs> how many people are Na there? Name them all now, in order. Oh my goodness, so, disappoint all the fans. <laughs> yeah. So so let's, let's start at the beginning, your beginning. So I know that as an actor, it can be tricky to successfully break into the voiceover world in general, but not only did you do that, but then you also cracked to the even smaller niche of anime voice work. Uh, what was your path to anime? Oh, man. Uh, well, I guess in the, in the beginning, with uh, my <laughs> brothers and I, uh, as, a, as a young lad, I remember watching anime. You know, about 12 years old, 13 years old, I was, I was introduced to it. And I saw a really, a really cool anime called Akira, mm. which you may or may not be familiar with. Absolutely. It's an incredible anime. Maybe not the, <laughs> the easiest thing to watch at 12 uh, <laughs> as you watch, you know, folks getting laser rifled in half on a bridge sequence. And my eyes were just, you know, like saucers going, what is this? Um, but uh, after watching it, I was, I was hooked. Um, I saw a lot of different anime after that. And I didn't honestly really think I would be doing um, anime voiceover specifically that never really i think entered the the realm of, of thought i wanted to be an artist for a while you know do drawing uh, a writer and as i made my way through school i found out i kind of had a knack for for acting and singing and things and so i did the traditional road of of you know i went to community college and then took courses in theater i got my you know associates and then transferred to your transfer to a uc irvine studied musical theater all theater nothing nothing involving anime at this point um <laughs> You know, went and, uh, uh, you know, uh, did my, my graduate work at, at Southern Methodist University. And, of course, in Dallas, Texas, um, it is very close to Flower Mound, which is where Funimation, a uh, uh, big anime dubbing company, resides. And uh, a good friend of mine, Brina Palencia, uh, we were working on a feature film together called All the Wrong Friends. And uh, we were sitting after a 18-hour uh, day of filming. We were just wiped out tired. And I was plunking out on the guitar, just kind of, you know, uh, punch drunk with fatigue. And she said to me, she said, hey, you, know, you got a good voice. You should go and, and audition for, uh, over at Funimation for some, some stuff. And I went, oh, okay, anime. I love anime. You know, it, it never was, I think, the focus of my life to go and 
do that. Although I was very keenly interested, I thought, how cool would that be to, to give it a crack? So anyway, long story short, too late. I uh, <laughs> went and auditioned uh, for Zach Bolton, and we worked on my first booking was Be Gata H Kai, which is a, a risque little show. Um, but I played a I played a yeah supporting character in that show. It was it was pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, actually, uh, kind of funny little bit about that. The first thing I ever did for voiceover in anime was a sequence where my character was um, wanting to take a picture of the main protagonist, Yamada. And I'm like, hey, Yamada, let me take your picture. She goes, why do you want to take my picture? And then she has a little thought bubble of me um, pleasuring myself to her picture. So uh, that was the first, that was actually the second cue I had to do. The first cue was, I think, Yamada, can I take your picture? And she goes, yeah, what do you want my picture for? And then it's a... Uh, me playing the imaginary sequence of like, ah, Yamada! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and Zach Bolton was very kind. He was like, so, welcome to anime. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, man, it was a very graceful entrance into the, into yeah. the industry. And since then, it was, you know, just working with more directors, more actors, and having a great time exploring the, the whole thing that is anime. That's awesome. Um, I know that vocal performers sometimes get the best sense for their character, you know, what vocal qualities they want to give that character when they see a photo or a drawing or some kind of art of that character. Um, and in the case of some of your characters, I guess that might be a little bit of a trick. Like, uh, for example, uh, Itona Horibe on Assassination Classroom, you've right. got a school-aged character, right? He's got these little sort of spirally multicolored eyes, and then when he takes off his hat, you know, flailing tentacles on his head. Sure. Tentacles, so, bro. You gotta have tentacles. So where where do you begin to formulate a voice for a character like that or Jackal on Fairy Tale who's, you know, muscular and he's got wolf ears and a tail but a bandana? And <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess it, it always comes back down to, to kind of acting 101. I mean, of course you have the benefit when you watch anime and cartoons. You can go, oh, man, you know, Jackal reminds me of every toothy, bestial kind of, you know, wild card that you find out there. And so, you know, you get that kind of glottal fry and then it becomes more teethy and, you know, you start to snarl things. And, um, or for, for Itana, who is, you know, the quiet kid in class, but he's incredibly dangerous, but he's brilliant. So, you know, that soft-spoken sort of withdrawn sort of intensity kind of, you know, um, I don't know. There, there are different ways, you know, adjectives that use to, to kind of descriptors that help you uh, that are written, obviously, that, uh, you know, when you go and audition for these roles, there are, you know, very, very in-depth uh, descriptions of these characters. But, yeah, ultimately, it's up to you as the actor to, to bring it to life. And uh, it's acting 101. I got to say, you go and you think, okay, well, where's this person coming from? You know, what sort of uh, what sort of history do they have? Did their mother and father love them? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, maybe not so deep as that. But, true. I mean, truly, you take a look at what the artist has to give. Um, one, one such role uh, that is kind of... Uh, 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 tugs on my heartstrings a bit is Haruhiro from um, oh gosh Grimgar Fantasy and Ash and that one has some beautiful animation in that show and when I watch it immediately just watching uh, looking at stills of what these artists have made the world they made it immediately makes me want to be just a little more warmth in my voice more heartfelt bring it somewhere real rather than some kind of heightened crazy you know thing yeah. you yeah. know uh, it, it makes you uh, want to lend more of yourself uh in a specific way. So I guess, yeah, hopefully I answered that question in some way, oh, yeah. but really, yeah, I, I think it's between what the artist gives you and uh, how they show the character, you know, darkening the eyes, like the, the archetypes that these characters fall into, whether they're a villain, a hero, uh, uh, you know, everything in between. Um, there's so many, you know, uh, Japanese 
um, specific subsets of characters, yeah. you know, um, that uh, also help guide you to these uh, performances. But yeah, man. And then on top of it all, you know, it's, it's in English, so we have all the charm of the, one of the most difficult languages to learn on this planet, <laughs> you know, of, of making that coherent and fun and still, right. you know, match the flaps in the Japanese. And yeah, I mean, it, I, I wish I could tell you it was, a, it was an easier thing, but for me, it's, it's usually a mixture of experience, of seeing, of having seen a lot of anime and kind of knowing where this character fits in the world, uh, what kind of animation I'm looking at, and then also just kind of the, you know, that sort of acting 101 sort of spirit of what I get from the, from it all, you know. Right. So a second ago, you whether this was intentional or not, you used the you used the phrase "match the flaps," which oh, yes. match the flaps. which I'm guessing maybe has to do with my next question, which is talking about the challenges of giving a vocal performance that has to more or less match existing animation, not literally where the lips are in any given second, but at least the duration or the set amount of time to make sure that your line fits into the space of the animation of that speaking character's role, right? Which is like ADR-ish, but... Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's all the writers. The writers are magicians with that. I mean, they have to watch these scenes over and over again, and, and you know, I can only imagine. There's some characters that are pretty verbose. Uh, they're very intelligent, I should say. Munakata. Munakata in... Um, uh, da, 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 working on a show tomorrow, Danganronpa. And Danganronpa, uh, he's this cool, calculating customer, but he's wicked smart. And so, you know, he might have his flaps go ba 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 ba, but in English we have, you know, a, just a crap load of text that we want to fit in there because this guy's brilliant, right? So um, it's wonderful. It's really interesting to think about how the Japanese language, you know, and, and how the cadence and the phrasing and all these things, uh, pitch tonality work when you commingle it with English. And the writers, I think, at Funimation do an excellent job of, of bringing it. Uh, to life with these characters. I think that's the hardest part, is because if you get like a line that says, uh, you know, a uh, Japanese character goes, nande, you know, which means that why? Like, what, what's going on here? And, you know, you have two flaps, nande. So you could go, what's going on? Oh, I can't say what's going on. That's three flaps. So it's like, what's this? You know, that yeah. might work. That might yeah. fit. You know, but does it fit the character? No, he's, he's more militant. So let me think. How would I script write that? Uh, you know, um, Who's there? Maybe in a commanding voice. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and it's all up to the you know the writers. And uh, every time, every once in a while in the booth, we might we might make a, a discovery while we're working on some some character stuff and go. You know what? I think Jackal would say this rather mm -hmm. than that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's it's. I leave it up to the talented writers that that are able to make those flaps match the, the beautifully written text. Uh, <laughs> It's hard work, man. It's hard work. I believe it. I believe it. It's such a it's such a bizarre, uh, intricate little portion of the process. They're like, we're going to spend most of our time just doing the math to make sure. Oh, Brad, yeah. but it's so gratifying when you match it perfectly. Like I got to tell you, like because their breath reacts. You know, the classic, you know, uh, uh, you know, all the breath, all the breath reacts, right? And you you would you know. You're watching an anime and you actually start to really hear the difference. Like it's like a fine wine, you know. Like people might make fun of it and be like, uh huh, you know, and all these things and kind of you know just throw generalized sounds. But you can really hear it when you spend enough time doing it. I so you know, tune that's, in, tune your ears in to those breath reactions. Yeah, no doubt. From now on, that's that's where all my focus is going. When <laughs> when these uh, existing projects are being dubbed in English and and you're cast to play a role, is there ever an expectation? 
to emulate the vocal qualities of the original Japanese voice, or do you get to bring your own take, or is it sort of a combination? I know we're sort of touching on that, but I wonder how much, like, here's Jackal, and he's, this has been a series that's been around for 234 episodes, right, and he's right. got a fan base, and, <laughs> like, so you better not go too crazy, or... Well, you know, I guess that would be like, you know, if you were to try to do, <laughs> you know, Hamlet or something in a David Tennant's, they're like, oh, are you going to do it just like David Tennant? Sure. Like, ah, probably not, no. because he's got, he's awesome, and he does cool David Tennant stuff, but, you know, I have a different set of tools available to me, and usually the director has an idea of the, the palette of sort of actors they're working with, so I think, for the most part, uh, it, you can hear the Japanese in terms of intent and where, where the scene is going, but for me, I usually let that be a guide to, to where the scene is headed. Because sometimes uh, even the content of the scene can be a little different. There might be a little more energy in the Japanese, where uh, it might be more relaxed and subdued in the in the in the English. Um, and so, it, you know, sometimes there are liberty, liberties that are taken. But I think that's I think that's cool. You know, it's it's a part of our culture as well. You know, where where some things maybe are treated a little, little you know lighter in Japan that we might be more heavy-handed. You know, here in the states or vice versa. Um, it's 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 interesting to me, especially as an actor, to kind of see to, to ride that line and go, oh, I see what the what the Japanese actor was trying to do here, um, but I I have a feeling that it's going to go this way. So you know, there's liberty there, but once again, absolutely, it's it's a benefit to have a well, <laughs> I guess I should say I think it's a benefit to have the, the Japanese there because I, I'm not sure I've ever recorded anything other than commercials and and some other little you know smaller projects uh, like completely dry. A lot of video games you don't have a reference, you know, because. But in, in uh, with anime, yeah, you always usually have the Japanese actor going first. Yeah. I wonder what it would be like to turn that around. They'd probably be, whoa, yeah. hearing the English? Now we have to match the English performance? <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Which I suppose it happens. I mean, every time you watch, um, you know, more and more, I feel like with, you know, Pixar or Disney or whatever, that was some special mm -hmm. feature of like, and check it out in 30 countries around the world, which yeah. it, it indeed is sort of fascinating to see people's different take on like, wow, that's a really weird approach for, you know, Lightning McQueen or something yeah, like that. Yeah, or or some are like, nailed it, that's pretty good. <laughs> or if or if there's an interpretation to try to do specific, I don't know, elements, whether they're comedic or serious or something and see what the translation is of, I can't, I don't know why I'm using Lightning McQueen again as an example, but like, what's the translation of Kachow around the world? You love yeah. Owen Wilson. I, I guess so. <laughs> the, the truth is out. I'm an Owen Wilson. This podcast is actually about Owen Wilson, and we're just not it. getting to the <laughs> meat, really, of what it's all. <laughs> I do it. Owen yeah, cast. You know what, what's interesting about that is that the, in the Japanese, it's right. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of, um, oh, what's the word looking for? Uh, I mean, they, they use, not cognates, but they have, uh, they use English words pretty often in, yeah. in, in the Japanese, you know, uh, or just phrases. So it's it's funny sometimes to hear a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, just smatterings of English in the Japanese text. I'm like, oh, they just use the English word there. But in that, that I don't think ever happens in, in English, as far as I know, for Japanese. Right. I mean, maybe um, in a quizzing game, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool to see it. You know, yeah. Blend. Yeah. Anyway. So we're spending a lot of time talking about your work in the anime world, but of course you're involved with plenty of other projects that do not involve assassinations and or classrooms. Um, <laughs> what, what, what are you working on now and uh, what can you tell us about projects like Pieces and American Dynasty? I know that's all sort of floating around in your yeah. wheelhouse, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's fun? Um, I'm from California originally. I'm from the Bay Area. And I did my undergrad in Orange County. Uh, 
which uh, a lot of folks, I think, when I, when it's particularly my family, my brother who lives in the Bay Area, I got my two beautiful nephews. He's like, when are you coming back to California, you know, to work in L.A. like every actor in the world or New York, right? Uh, I've been working full-time acting out here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and it's been so fulfilling. Um, American Dynasty, uh, my good friend Oscar Song, um, and a lot of pals created this series. It's been getting a lot of looks from, from festivals. Um, and it's a pleasure to work on. Um, uh, pieces of my buddy Ryan Blitzer, who I met at SMU. He was a, he was a wee freshman when I was, you know, uh, getting, I was like a third year grad student fixing to leave. And we've been working together for almost four or five years now. It's crazy, man. It is, it is just wild to me how these, uh, it would seemingly small connections of just making small projects have bloomed into feature work, into episodic work, into, uh, passion, I guess you would call them quote unquote passion projects. But they really have grown with with the the TLC that is given by by friends and loved ones and family. Uh, uh, yeah, um, we actually for, for Ryan we did the the forty eight hour film fest in Tampa. I think we got third place. It was awesome, and his whole family was there. His brother got to be in it. I mean, we kind of needed it. We only had four actors, so we got everyone was in it. Your cast and your cast. <laughs> like, uh, so it was really fun, and we rocked it out. Uh, you know, his father was out there to uh, took us to this awesome like steak dinner and we just like pow out afterwards and just it felt like family it always feels like family man working on on all these uh, beautiful projects with um, a lot of folks out here so um other than uh pieces and american dynasty i just uh finished a feature called elsewhere texas uh my buddy mac taylor uh, is a post-apocalyptic western where i played the gunslinger like a lone gunman named the stranger nice. uh, i got to learn how to use a yeah i got to learn how to use a colt single action army so i know how to do some gun tricks now Kind of like I, I'm, you know, I'm totally a. I'm not gonna. I don't know if I can curse, but I'm a BA. I was a total BA in that movie. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it was, it, it was really cool, man. Um, I'm getting some wonderful opportunities to work on some incredible projects uh, out here with 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 dear friends, man. So uh, yeah, there's there's still a lot going on. Actually, just uh, it's a vibrant community out here, man. A lot of a lot of good stuff, and you know, uh, everyone always says you know it's either New York or or LA or Chicago, but I mean. If, if anything, I would say that I'm I'm certainly living proof that there is a you know a working environment for actors and performers and creators out here in Dallas. So yeah, pretty good. Well, I've got one last question for you. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that uh, you spent time as a Disney character at Disneyland in oh, Anaheim. No. Yeah. Can you confirm or deny rat. that you were at one time a street rat from Agrabah? Is this a true fact? Okay, the way that we phrase it, <laughs> if you've ever, ever worked for the mouse, yeah. you know that you see that you are good friends. Uh, I was good friends with a lot of characters in the in the furry department. I was good friends with Goofy, Tigger, Captain Hook, uh, Jay Worthington, Foul Fellow. <laughs> uh, I had a few others in there, but uh, yeah, on, on the face face department, I was good friends with Aladdin uh, uh, and Prince of Maldonia from Princess and the Frog. In fact. I prototyped that character. Uh, I'm sorry. I should. I ruined it. I ruined it. You, I you that knew someone who prototyped the character. <laughs> I knew a person who prototyped the character. That's awesome. All yeah, right. Man. Well, so so how can people contact you and or follow your work? And if they want to reach out and say you're my favorite man, how can they do uh, that? <laughs> well, I guess on I I, I use the Twitter. Uh, I use the Twitter, and it's uh, Rico Fajardo. I think it's my handle. Tweet at me. Tweet at me, yo. Yeah. All right. You you heard the man, everyone. Tweet at him right away. And, you know, may all of your flaps match. That's uh... <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> prayer. Sure. I, I think 
Thank you very much. Yeah, that's for you. That's fun. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye. Yeah, take care. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts Cut and Print. Big thanks to my guest Rico Fajardo and also to tween Harry Potter aficionados Susanna Pazy and Scott Barton. Regular listeners of the podcast know that Scott is practically a regular on the show. After sharing his opinions on Star Wars theme park attractions in episode number two, helping me unpack a giant box of comic books on episode 11, and reviewing Rogue One on episode 12. The kid is all over this show! If you haven't heard those episodes yet, check them out. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? What should be sent to clean out the Tauntaun stables? You can let me know by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. Those would be the 1.21 Geekwatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and a genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Geekwatts. And on Instagram, you can check out pictures of my own geeky treasure trove at 1.21 underscore Geekwatts. It's new every day. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Geekawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121geekawatts.com and delight in the nerdliness. And if you're not already aware, every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes store. It is so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. I'm already hard at work on the next few episodes, and there are some good interviews coming up soon. You don't want to miss the next episode, people. Trust me. Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good one, a 13 Gillyweed review, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show, which would make me a very, very happy podcaster. And if you're not an iTunes user, you can always find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com. Huge gratitude to the captain of the crossfade, composer, and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Cisco. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome with our rad-tastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Gigawatts, what every geek wants is what we got. From Doctor Who to Aqualad, you might meet Luke and Leia's dad. Pop culture that is super rad, hosted by some guy named Brad. It'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks. 1.21 freaking Gigawatts. What do you think? Totally disgusting, right? I keep telling my old man, but he won't change the recipe. I agree. It is disgusting. MSG doesn't hide the fact the bones are stale. And somebody needs to tell your old man this fish cake topping is out of style. This recipe you've got is four generations too old. Crap! He really knows his stuff! What a joke. This dive will go belly up the second a competitor moves in. Just like what happened to Dad.
That's what integrity gets you.